Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. No Steve Lorenz today. I, I think he has a wedding. He's out of town regardless. So this episode, recapping Michigan versus Rutgers, is going to be a Q&A format. I posted on, on Twitter, fielding questions after the game. Uh, nice variety of questions. So we're, we're going to use that. We're going we're gonna to tackle a bunch of the questions from the Wolverines' 20-13 to 13 win. There's obviously plenty of written stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com from this game, what it means. And then, of course, looking ahead to the Wolverines' first road game of the season at Wisconsin. But, yeah, this was a, a game that was, not, I don't think any Michigan fan is thrilled with the game, but but obviously how how concerned you are kind of depends on what you saw in some of Michigan's key issues. So the first half of the episode, we'll talk about kind of the, the, the key issues, tackle some of the key questions. Then after that, we'll look ahead and discuss what's fixable, what's what was a maybe a one-game situation, and what are what is something that might be a bit of a problem for the Wolverines all year. So we'll start at the quarterback position. This was something, I mean, I was getting texts from from you know my friends who are Michigan fans and and even even Steve chimed in and asked me, you know, my thoughts on it. Is is Cade McNamara starting job safe? Is is it time to see what JJ McCarthy has? You know, this was a game for Cade McNamara. Started out great. He completed eight of his first ten passes for 156 yards, but he finished the game nine of sixteen for 163 yards and, and no touchdowns. So yeah, and and, and really I think the part of that that matters because I think overall those numbers aren't they're not disastrous. They're not sit on the bench numbers, but Rutgers initially down 20 to 3, made it 20 to 13, and Cade McNamara throws three straight passes. Michigan was trying to get a first down, move burn some clock, start moving the chains and maybe even score to put the game away. Three straight incompletions, another punt, and Michigan I mean, if you look at the course of the entire game, they they did enough to win, but they were outgained by uh, almost 75, or actually more than 75 yards. In the second half, they only gained 42 yards. Rutgers gained 241. And ultimately, that falls in a large part on Cade McNamara. I mean, they're just they're one for seven in the second half. You know, I think I saw, and, and I think I, I, mean, I saw it with my own eyes, but I you know someone had pointed out to me after the game, he was one for seven after that hit that he took that was that was ultimately ruled targeting and and the player was ejected for the game. He was one for six after that. I mean he was eight for ten before that. So so that's something I'm I'm keeping in mind. But ultimately, the answer to to some of the questions we got about about JJ McCarthy at B, B me Harg said, when does JJ start? It's obvious Kate is limited. When needed to make big throws, he couldn't. Uh, you know, JTOG X asked, which backup quarterback should I be yelling about to start? And sports ball fan asked, any thoughts on what happened with Cade? Was Rutgers showing something that he was that was tripping him up or what tale of two halves with him? I think it is time to, to seriously consider it. And there, there's a couple reasons why. First of all, Cade McNamara did not look like a quarterback who's going to win Michigan a lot of Big Ten games this year in the second half. He just didn't. And and this is really, you can throw the Washington game in. They're playing Power 5 teams the rest of the way. They're not playing Western Michigan. They're not playing Northern Illinois. 
they're playing teams that are kind of like Rutgers, kind of like Washington. Some teams will be better. Some teams will be worse. Honestly, the Big Ten right now looks very uh, high parity. I think, I think there's a couple teams at the top. Penn State, Ohio State stand out to me. Probably could throw Wisconsin in there with the defense. But but really, I don't think there's any gimme games. But I don't think there's too many games on Michigan's schedule that they can't feel relatively confident that they can win. And so the difference is going to come down to what Cade McNamara can do, I think, in a, in a lot of these games. So far, he has not passed the test. Over, you know, If you look at an entire body of work, he has. And Michigan, I don't think they were blowing smoke when they clearly, clearly made him the starter and like it w- wasn't even a discussion. But J.J. McCarthy, who, by the way, J. Tog X, that's probably your backup quarterback. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like Alan Bowman's someone that they're going to throw in the games, and, and Dan Valari, not so much either. So J.J. McCarthy, I mean, he's been on campus and practicing for another month since Michigan publicly named Cade McNamara the starting quarterback. So I think it's absolutely grounds to reopen the discussion. I don't think you make a complete switch. I think it does still have to be earned. I mean, the fact is, if if Cade McNamara looks better in practice, that's that's your sample size. J.J. McCarthy has thrown 12 passes in college, and they were all in mop-up garbage time against MAC teams. You can you can say Cade McNamara doesn't look that great against Power 5 teams. J.J. McCarthy hasn't played against a Power 5 team. So I think there's something I think there is something to be said for at some point as much as fans hate this, you know, the, there's nothing fans like more than than assuming that the backup quarterback must be better than the starting quarterback. You do have to assume that the coaches paid a lot of money and who spend you know, 50 plus hours a week on this. At, at some point you do have to assume that they, they know what they're doing or that they have, they have the best, they have the most information possible. I mean, you can't just magically decide that the backup quarterback who was decided as the backup quarterback is suddenly better. But, but I think with, with McCarthy, I think there is a little bit of a situation where he's a freshman. So his learning curve, he's learning more each week than maybe a junior or, or a red shirt junior or somebody like that. I mean, it's not like he's he's learned everything. I mean, he he was in August when this competition was happening, he was still learning the playbook. He was still learning the plays. He was he was it was his first fall camp. Not like he's some, you know, seasoned veteran now, but he another month can make a difference. And then I think the other thing is you do have to at least see what you have. You don't if if JJ McCarthy, I mean, he doesn't have to start for you to see a little bit more of what he has. He doesn't have to be the starter. He doesn't have to, you don't have to like send Cade McNamara packing like he's lost in a reality show. But a game like this, hey, if, if Cade McNamara has four straight three and outs, what's the harm in throwing McCarthy in there? Is he that much worse? Is he? I, We don't know, but he was a five-star recruit. He is Michigan's best quarterback recruit since Ryan Mallett. In twenty or in two thousand seven, and not every five star is is amazing. And I think teams sometimes can get a little too caught up in appeasing the the highly rated recruit, uh, maybe before they've proven that they should be the quarterback of the future. Quick tangent: Wisconsin did that. I I, I mean, you couldn't couldn't you say Jack Cohn was their starter? He gets injured. Graham Mertz looks good in a couple games. He's he's the redshirt freshman, their highest rated quarterback recruit ever. So they decide he's the guy. 
They don't even make it a competition. They decide he's the guy. Well, Jack Cohn was a part of a Notre Dame team that made Wisconsin look pretty bad today. In there, and you know, with Graham Mertz looked looked uh, well, he struggled a lot, and Wisconsin's now one and two. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to blindly just say, "Oh, because that guy was a five star, he should be the starter." But I do think if you are looking at what Cade McNamara has brought to the table, has it been enough for Michigan to accomplish its goals this season? I don't think so. Has it been enough for Michigan to accomplish maybe the realistic part of the goals? Because every team has lofty goals, but you know, thinking about what's realistic for this team, it's top 25, winning at least nine games, <laughs> probably winning 10 and making a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that would be, I think most people would view that as a success coming off of last season. But I, I don't know if Cade McNamara brings that much to the table. If he's if, if he ultimately is the best Michigan's got, then they just got a deal. But part of me thinks McCarthy has has closed the gap. And I think he has closed the gap enough. And McNamara has has shown some tendencies enough that it's it's worth playing them both. At the very least, it's worth at least reopening the door and saying, well, What's JJ got? Is it better than what Cade's got? Is it is it something that, even if it's not necessarily as consistent or as, I guess, reliable might be the word, is the potential for the big play or the big throw or the, you know, maybe a little bit more crisp on those those short passes almost seem to give Cade McNamara a little bit more trouble. Not 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 the short short, but like the medium distance. He just doesn't put a ton of zip on the ball. Seems like the defender is able to to kind of get there and get in position. A couple, couple of throws were inaccurate, and and frankly, they were so inaccurate that, com, you know, compared to the first half when some of those throws were amazing, I mean, he was making some great throws. The difference was so stark that I part of me does wonder if that targeting hit rattled him in some way. That's stuff that we don't know. Michigan keeps it all vague. They don't have open practices. We really haven't seen a ton of Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy in a practice setting. And don't forget, before the game, you know, in all my preview stories, I did mention Rutgers has a good secondary and a good pass defense. And Cade McNamara passed the test in the first half. Seemed like they made adjustments in the second half. So it's so until we see more of Michigan and more of Rutgers, there's, there's ultimately just a lot that we don't know. Without knowing that stuff, I think it's time to reopen the door and... Go into this week telling J.J. McCarthy, hey, if you if you outplay Cade McNamara this week in practice, you are going to start in Madison on Saturday. That That's my personal thought. That's where I would go with this. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say, Cade, you're done. Pack your bags. Go home. But I don't think I don't think you can watch today's game and say, oh, well, Cade McNamara, you know, it'll be fine. It'll, he'll bounce back or, oh, they were keeping the playbook concealed no they were trying to win the game they asked him to throw in three straight drives i would argue two of those throws at least from initial viewing or those plays were open enough that he should have made that throw it's always tricky because everybody is always so high on the backup quarterback and, and a lot of times the backup is a backup for a reason you know the coaches they might not know everything but they they can determine over the course of several hours of practice that no one else sees who the starter should be. 
I think I think with J.J. McCarthy continuing to ascend and having a really high ceiling, along with Cade McNamara, really struggling, I would argue, in the two non-Mac games of the season. I think I think it's fair to open the door. So in these in the, in the rest of the questions, a lot of them were about the play calling. Uh, AJZ four six five two five two two two. A lot of numbers there, AJ. Ask how bad is Josh Gaddis? Um, you know, Phil, 9521773. Man, you guys really like those those first name and a bunch of numbers, huh? Says, can you break down Gaddis's mentality in close games? Seems like he struggles mostly because he goes to an into an anxious shell. Am I right? Is this a pattern or am I overreacting? Uh, Chris Freeman says, why did Michigan only run to the outside one time in the second half? Why all run plays up the middle? Ejecto Cito says, was that the worst offensively called game since 27 for 27? You know, when they ran 27 times for 27 yards. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions about the play calling. I think they're valid. I really do. I, I did not understand. I don't have the, I don't know the exact number of run plays that were meant to be on the outside and, and run plays that were meant to be up the middle. Cause, um, you know, I was just watching at the same speed that you guys were. If I, you know, upon rewatch, I'll have a better sense. But Michigan has guys who can make plays on the outside. You know, Blake Corum has legit speed. I mean, he's he's legitimately fast. I think he's legitimately strong too. I don't think it he has to be a one trick pony and every run play has to be outside the tackles. But he can make some of those plays for sure. A lot of his yards this season have been on those plays. And even if you even if you don't love Hassan Haskins' speed, Donovan Edwards has that kind of speed. A.J. Henning has that kind of speed. Roman Wilson showed it today. He has that kind of speed. I'd argue Mike Sainer still does, too. None of them had carries today. Yeah, what's what's up with that? I you know, and 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 I think the common narrative when a game is very conservatively play called and Michigan wins without too much stress. Now today was more stress than maybe we expected at first, but for a time there, it did look like Rutgers wasn't going to show up. You know, Michigan was going to kind of coast to a victory. The common narrative that stems from those types of games is, Oh, they were, you know, holding the plays back. They were, they were um, shortening the playbook. So teams can't scout them. I don't think that was the case today. I don't know what happened. I mean, they, it makes no sense for them to withhold the playbook. You know, and if, if Michigan had, had been, if their 2020 season or 2019 season had gone a little better, maybe I'd believe them and say, oh, yeah, they're just being weird and, and not revealing all of their plays. They weren't calling plays conservatively in their three blowout wins. I mean, they were in the fourth quarter, but not not during. And... And Michigan needed a touchdown today. I mean, they you know they ultimately won without one, but they very badly, just for the sake of momentum, really could have used a touchdown on like five straight drives, and they didn't get one on any of them in the second half. They didn't even get a first down for the first 25 minutes of the second half. So clearly, whatever they were calling was not working. And, and, and I'm with you guys. I, it, the runs up the middle... I get it. On paper, Rutgers' weakness is its defensive interior. They're, they're three or four. All of their defensive tackles who play consistently are 275 to 285 pounds. 
in theory, Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan and even Andrew Vistardis, who's a little undersized at around 300 pounds. But but those three, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of strength. They should have been able on paper to, to really mow some of these gigantic holes for these running backs to go through. But how many times can it not work before Michigan says, okay, let's try something else? I mean, Rutgers was stacking the box. They were selling out to stop the run. Absolutely. Maybe Cade McNamara, maybe you don't need want him to pass, but you're telling me Blake Corum on like a pitch to the outside or you know, throw a little misdirection in there, have him bump outside of the tackle. You're telling me that's not gonna be as effective as him going just straight up the middle until someone stops him? I I don't know. I don't know. That 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 didn't didn't seem like the right call to me either. So so I'm with you guys. Uh, you know, I I really would have to sit down to to decide just like how bad it was in, in in terms of how how bad the the game was called. But I do know on paper, Rutgers not very good at the defensive line. Pretty darn good at linebacker though, and pretty pretty solid in, in defensive backs. Just uh, I don't know. If it doesn't work for the first eight drives, or it worked for the first drive, but if it doesn't work for the for your next seven drives, how about you try something different? And they kind of did, to their credit. I mean, Corum, I think he, the Michigan's first first down of the second half, I believe, was on an outside run. But yeah, just just not a ton there. And and for the first half, it, it was fine because Kata McNamara was hitting on these you know big passing plays that were taking up a lot of yards and putting Michigan in scoring position. But, but yeah, the second half, I, as good as Rutgers' defense is, and it probably is a top 25-ish defense this season, you can't have five straight three and outs, period. Get a first down. I mean, you don't need to score every single time you touch the ball, but, but you should look like you could. <laughs> you know, it's just... Five three, five straight or four straight three and outs is is not. Uh, Michigan really should never have that against a team like Rutgers. Period. That's a that's dysfunction. And I I think you can chalk a lot of it up to play calling. You know, Cade McNamara certainly was a part of it. I think the offensive line struggled. I I don't think they had a very good game just in 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 recognizing what the other what Rutgers defense was doing in executing. Seemed like. There's a little bit of confusion on the field as well. So, yeah, it certainly not entirely the play calling, but I think it was a big part of it. I, I First, upon first viewing, first impression, that was the biggest issue with Michigan today was the, the offensive play calling was not a winning game plan. Every game you can probably nitpick good plays and bad plays here and there. I don't think Michigan's overall game plan was the most conducive one to Michigan being successful today. Anyways, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side, taking more of your questions, uh, some of the, some of the big picture stuff too, with, with a peek ahead at Michigan's game at Wisconsin. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So let's get to this question. And I, I, this is one that's often a talking point after a, a, a closer than expected game. Lewis Blake, uh, Lewis BL 
514-0-1679 asks, is Rutgers a lot better than we thought, or is it still, quote, same old Michigan? Probably the latter, in my, my opinion. I mean, Rutgers, it depends on what you thought Rutgers was. I, I think Rutgers is a top 60 team this year. I don't think they're a top 40 team. I think they're kind of in the middle of the Big Ten. Their record might not show it because the Big Ten East is a lot tougher than the Big Ten West, but I, I'd put them ahead of Purdue. I'd put them ahead of Illinois, you know, probably in that Nebraska area. Um, you know, probably put them ahead of Minnesota. So maybe like the Nebraska-Maryland zone of, of teams that, that you can't, you know, sleep on, but team a team like Michigan should probably beat. Uh, probably beat by double digits and, and maybe even several scores. So, yeah, this, this felt like Michigan getting out to a lead, taking its foot off the gas, and I, I think that's, again, probably more coaches than players, but but probably both. And then the game got a little weird. I mean, you know, there were... You know, Rutgers, offensively, I don't think they were, like, amazing. But they had just little pocket plays here and there. Yeah, I think I think the hitch routes are a big concern for Michigan right now. I mean, the, the cornerbacks were playing so far off the line. And Rutgers, that was on film. I knew that was coming. I knew that was Rutgers' only game. Noah, Noah Vidral, so far this season before today, he was only averaging 2.9 yards per downfield yards per pass completion. It was his receivers that were averaging seven yards after the catch per catch that were making his numbers look good. I mean, 70% of the, their receiving yards were after the catch. So I knew that they were going to do screen stuff. So I have to assume Michigan knew, yet they still really weren't able to defend it pretty much the entire game. So I think, I think there was a lot that Michigan has to be worried about. You know, and if if I were doing a one to ten on the concern level, I think it's like a six or a seven. I don't think it means Michigan's going to stink the rest of the way and that they're gonna go five and seven necessarily, but it certainly casts doubt on maybe the optimistic Michigan expectation the rest of the way. Like if you were someone that changed your expectation for what Michigan will be this season after the Washington game and the Northern Illinois game. You're probably scaling it back. You're reeling it in a little bit now, and and I think I think there's reason for that. I mean, they showed you know the, the defensive interior um, still doesn't look all the way there. You know, there were some run plays where they just kind of got pushed around. I thought pass rush. I mean, the the, the numbers don't look good, but the way Vidral was throwing the ball as quickly as possible, you know, you, you're not necessarily going to get a ton of sacks. I, I thought the pass rush was okay. But the run defense was pretty concerning. I mean, this the, you know that was one area where that Michigan was supposed to have a, a pretty big on paper advantage in this game, and and they were just not recognizing, you know, the 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 reads on some of these some of these handoffs or, or fake handoffs, I suppose. Um, yeah, just just seemed and it seemed like every drive there'd be like one or two pocket you know chunk plays where Michigan's about to get Rutgers off the field, and then and then they don't. So I think to to and to round up my answer for your question, Lewis, I, I think Rutgers is probably a little better than people think. I don't 
I could see them making a bowl game this year. I don't think that this was excusable, though. I mean, Michigan should have won this game by at least two touchdowns. And maybe you could argue even more. So, yeah, I think I think Michigan has a lot to clean up. You know, defensively, one one small thing I saw that that maybe is nothing, but really seemed like they were struggling all game to get the right eleven personnel on the field. Like they had guys at the last second sprinting on and off the field, which is going to happen when you're rotating as much as you do, or as much as Michigan's defense is rotating. But to me, that's a little bit of a sign of disorganization, or or Michigan's eleven or Michigan's defensive players not being fully engaged and fully in the moment. So, yeah, I think it's um I think it's I think it's certainly something to think about. I think it's certainly a game that is cause for concern. Brandon S616 asked he he did ask a running play calling question, but he also brought up this unpopular opinion. I thought U of M just actually didn't look as bad as what b- many people think. What do you think? I, I maybe. I mean, here here's my thing. I you know, Michigan's good teams and their bad teams have all had games like this where they, though the winning close, the the gritty not pretty is always the cliche that comes out of the games. Thank goodness those two words rhyme. Otherwise, what would players and coaches have to talk about after the game? But uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh said it today. If, if once they put pretty on the scoreboard, that's when we'll start caring about it. Sometimes it it really isn't that big of a deal. You know, I think I think Michigan in 2018 against Northwestern might be a perfect example. Is they're really struggling. It's on the road, but it's it's Northwestern. It's not the same kind of road situation. But they really struggle. I, I want to say they're down 19 nothing. Um, they come back and win in the final minute. Not a not a very pretty comeback either. That thing took as long as it possibly could have. And everyone was very worried. They were very concerned about the offense. And and next thing we know, they blow out Wisconsin. They they beat Michigan State pretty good uh, at, on the road. And then they blow out Penn State and they're and they're back in the playoff picture before they lose to Ohio State. So it can happen. It can be a wake up call, but it can also be foreshadowing for the rest of the way. And I, I think I think that, you know, watching them struggle at home against Rutgers. And then they're supposed to go on the road to Wisconsin, where where the past two times they've been at Wisconsin, it just has not really the past five times, but speaking more to the Jim Harbaugh era, really the two times they've gone to Wisconsin, it just they've not been themselves. And the last two times they've played Wisconsin, they they really it just looks like a bad matchup for the Wolverines. And Wisconsin is the number one run defense in the country. Rutgers was number forty nine. And they held Michigan in check quite a bit in the run game. 112 yards on 2.9 yards per carry. Now, some of those were kneel downs and and Caden McNamara a couple times. But Blake Corum, 3.2 yards per carry. Hassan Haskins, 3.4. Is Wisconsin going to be worse? I don't don't think so. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's... I mean, I think Michigan can be better. But, you know, so to to your, your question, Brandon, I... I think there were some parts of it that, that fans might be overreacting to. I mean, the first half was very much a good first half. If their second half had looked like that, the tone of this entire podcast is very different. 
You know, Cade McNamara looked great. He was making a lot of big-time plays. I mean, there was there was a pass to Mike Sainer still for 51 yards. Roman Wilson got one for 38. Eric Eric All had one for 24. Cornelius Johnson had one for 23. You know, Blake Corm, Hassan Haskins in the, that first drive. I mean, they were they were just breaking tackles and and mowing people down. Big fall forward rate in the in this game at first. And the defense, all things considered, 13 points, and especially in the first half when when it was really, I mean, what, what did they have in the first half? 121 yards Rutgers had on 3.8 yards per play. So that's, yeah, if they if they'd played the second half like they played the first half, this game's a blowout. They win by 28 to 35 points, and no one no one is has a care in the world about this game. It's it's really more can Michigan do it again next week. So so the question is is it foreshadowing or is it is it a wake up call? After the game, I you know, I asked Eric all what the tone in the locker room was like after the game and he said, "No, they were celebrating the win. You know, we're 4 and 0. It was the same kind of excitement that it would be if it was a 60-point blowout win." Which that surprised me. I I'm not going to take one guy's answer you know, too far, but that, that did surprise me a little bit that he said that I, you know, felt like, felt like a different kind of tone than what we'd heard all season when they say, Oh, we're not content yet. Oh, you know, we've got work to do. And maybe that's just how Eric all views things. Different players are allowed to have different opinions, but that did surprise me a little bit that, that he said that, 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 you know, Makes you wonder if it was a true wake-up call. Because I think I think a lot of those things were said about the Army game a couple years ago as well. That that might be the best example of why Michigan fans are very upset from this game. Is Michigan, they beat Army, but it took until overtime for them to pull it off. And the, the talk after the game was, oh, Army's probably better than, than anyone thinks. Michigan will figure it out. They have a bye week to figure it out. I mean, there were lots. There was a lot of narratives of, oh, this will be a fluke, and then they'll be fine. Then they go to Wisconsin. Granted, they were very beat up and injured when they went to Wisconsin. Michigan does not seem to be as injured this time around, and Wisconsin doesn't look quite as good as they did back then either. But, yeah, you don't want to be heading to Wisconsin with, uh, with that many concerns. I mean, Wisconsin, you know, they just – just got blown out by Notre Dame. They've got to be looking at this tape saying, oh, stop the run. Easy. Run up the middle. Yeah, we can do that. I mean, those are those are two very Wisconsin-like things. You know, the, the degree of difficulty on Vidral's passes, I mean, those are, you know, Graham Mertz is having a tough go of it right now, but the, those are not that difficult of passes for him to complete. You know, him and Jake Ferguson can work in the flats all game long. So, yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, maybe, maybe a six or seven undersold the concern level. I think there's, there's legitimate concern. I think my thing is that the first half was good. So you, you, you start to wonder, was it, was it mental in the second half or was it physical? And, and, you know, the, the, they didn't make a ton of mental mistakes, but I, it did feel like it was mental. It felt like it was a sluggish second half more than a, Michigan is a very bad football team second half because otherwise they wouldn't have been up by 17 at halftime would they I don't know that maybe that's a maybe that's a discussion point to have is is 
you know, how, how responsible should Michigan be for its 17-point halftime lead, and should it be more or less responsible than their negative 10 second-half deficit? It's also fair to wonder how much of the mistakes were correctable and how much of it is stuff that's going to last the entire season. Got a, got a fun question here. To, uh, this is, I think this is our last one. Uh, Peyton F56 says, do you still think Rutgers has the best punter in the country? Oh, if Steve were here, he would be enjoying that because I'm I'm team Adam Corsack. I think, I mean, he entered the game leading the country in net punting yards at like 50.5, and that's that's subtracting touchbacks and returns. He did shank one punting out of his own end zone. So I think that's what that's what Payton's uh, referring to. He had a 48-yarder later in the game, but, but A.J. Henning had a pretty good return on it. So uh, not his best game, not his best game. And so like like Michigan, I guess we'll have to see how he does in Big Ten play because it's it's a little bit a little bit different of a game. But uh, no, it's a fun question. I, I think he's still pretty good. You know him versus Brad Robbins. I don't know. It'll be an ongoing battle, ongoing discussion to be had. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, we'll have plenty of stories over at the Michigan Insider dot Michigan dot twenty four seven Sports dot com. Lots to discuss. Lots to discuss from the press conferences, from what we saw in the game. Uh, kind of looking ahead to, to the Wisconsin matchup. Going to be interesting. That's one thing for sure is, is Michigan football. I mean, it's, it's not going to be boring the rest of the season. Now we're in the interesting part of the season. So thank you all for listening. Hope you continue to stick with us throughout the fall. There will be a recruiting podcast in a couple days. Obviously, we have our preview stuff for Wisconsin as well. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll talk to you next time.